1: I love that song. Hello, hello. Thanks for listening to Leslie Marshall show. I am not Leslie Marshall. My name is Daniela gibbs J and I am with the Center for American Progress Action Fund, and I am thrilled to be with you here for the next two hours. Now, this is my first time hosting a radio show, so please be kind to me. <laughs> We've got a great show lined up today, and uh, a great show includes you all, so please uh, join us and uh, call us, join the conversation at 888 6 Leslie. That's 888-653-7543. So I would like to start off this hour talking about the Latino vote in the 2016 election. You know, we talk about talk about this every four years, how important mm-hmm. the Latino vote is um, to whoever is going to eventually end up in the White House, but I feel like this year takes on a special urgency and importance, and that's mostly because of what's happening on the GOP side. Um, I'd like to play a little audio of, just to get a taste of what we've been hearing from our uh, Republican friends.
2: You mentioned Wall. I mean,
1: I will build...
2: The greatest wall that you've ever seen. And I would never do this myself, but I hope it's going to be so, and it actually, believe in, look great. I already know what it should look like. You know, the other day, <laughs> the other day they were saying, I was watching these characters, politicians that are running against me. You can't get Mexico to pay for the wall. You, of course you can. They can't. Because they never would even think of it. Do you know how much Mexico is making from the United States? That's peanuts, the wall. And then they say, you can't build a wall. It's too big. It's too. It doesn't work. Well, 3,000 years ago, right? The Great Wall of China was built. We'd like to have that wall. That wall, nobody gets through. That I can tell you. And that's 13,000 miles right and that was done between two thousand It did take them five hundred years in all fairness a pretty long time oh, they gee, don't that's stop all. they don't stop that's why we need <laughs> tough people to negotiate with the chinese because they don't stop but the great wall of china was built thirteen thousand miles now in mexico they were complaining it doesn't work now they have these walls built and they said well people go over these walls with a ladder you know how tall the wall is it's like this and it's not a wall, it's a little fence. And people put up a ladder that they buy at Home Depot, and they go over the wall, jump, and that's the other. Yeah, because they, they got jump. Home Depot. I'm talking about a go wall. Go to Mexico, Home Depot. Up there? Oh, higher. Did you ever see, okay, did you ever see precast plank for parking garages? Okay, as, as an example, you
1: know, not a big deal. I'm a great Okay, guy. that's wow. enough. I can't listen anymore, Trump. Yeah, really. I mean, you know, he's going to get Mexico to build the most beautiful and most luxurious wall ever. I will probably do a few Donald Trump impersonations throughout this show. So with me in studio to talk about Donald Trump, his wall, the Latino vote, and the GOP <laughs> uh, is Angie Kelly, and she's the executive director of the Center for American Projects Action Fund, And on the phone with us is Lizette Ocampo, who is manager of political campaigns at the People for American Way and director of Latinos Vote. Thank you both for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me. So can we just go ahead and say that what you're hearing coming out of the GOP makes this the most anti-immigrant, anti-Latino election so far, like at least in my lifetime?
3: Yes. Yes. Yes, you okay. can, the answer it's, is yes. you know it's only May. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it is. Uh, it's stunning um, just how over the top nativist Donald Trump has been, but it is also not the case that he's the first one who has uttered nativist, ugly anti Latino, anti immigrant comments, anti Muslim. Right? I mean mm-hmm. this this is unfortunately building on what has been an ongoing sad trend by a number of conservatives, Mm -hmm. and that is, you know, they're drinking like a slow hemlock, a slow poison um, politically, and Mm -hmm. I really think that that's going to show up, particularly in this election. The awareness that the Latino community has of Trump, the unfavorable views are just stunning. Like 87% Mm -hmm. of Latinos hold him in a very or somewhat unfavorable view, and 79% are very unfavorable. I mean, that's an intensity that you don't normally see. Yeah, so, so I was going to mention that was uh,
1: from the America's Voice uh, and Latino Decisions mm-hmm. poll recently. So obviously the polling, it's, it's clear. So Lizanne, I'm curious to get your opinion about this. What is the calculated risk that they're taking on the GOP side? Like, w- what in their minds are they saying that it's okay to alienate this very important voting block? Like, why why are they doing this? I think the problem um, on the GOP side is that they haven't stood
4: up to what Trump has been doing, um, and like Angie said, um, it's kind of been uh, sort of an explicit way of what we've been hearing um, in Congress and with other uh, GOP uh, leaders. So, for example, you know the, the wall stuff that you played. Yes, you know obviously it's ridiculous. Uh, we know that you know our border is secure, and it's been more secure than it ever has. Um, but some of the most egregious things he, he does, for example, just happened when he was in California where he brought victims um, onto the stage of someone who had had an immigrant commit a crime against them and how offensive it is for him to stereotype and saying that all immigrants and all Mexicans and all all Latinos um, are are criminals. And he also just had a rally 100 yards away um, from where an immigrant died from a hate crime. Um, And so it's just very crazy to me how egregious it is, um, how explicit he is against the Latino community. Um, but it's it's also, like Angie said, we we saw that in Congress. Congress has had similar hearings um, where they try to stereotype the immigrant and Latino community. And so this is something that the GOP saw in 2012 uh, wasn't helpful for them in the presidential election. And they're going to
1: see that again in 2016. Right. And that's that's what I'm going to understand. Right. It's like right. for your own political expediency – you would want to not engage and and encourage this type of behavior and activity and rhetoric because you saw what happened in 2012. Like, how did we get from George W. Bush, who got 44% of the Latino vote? To where we are here when a community is only growing in its political That's power.
3: Right. That's right. It's
1: you know, That's I just right. like what what has changed? Yeah,
3: I mean the 27% that Romney got is probably going to look good right. compared to whatever oh, Donald Trump gets. remember Mitt Romney? <laughs> That's right. Those days of just self-deportation which seems like so gentle yes. by comparison. Um so I don't I don't I don't know the calculation. I I think that the that wing of the party is very loud. I don't know that it's very large. I think that there are a lot of um, thoughtful Republicans and conservatives that are cringing Mm -hmm. um, and that that don't want this person to represent them um, at the top of the ticket. And I think that they're going to be especially unhappy because I can imagine there's going to be a lot of down ballot um, outcomes as a result of who's, you know, at the top of the ticket, if in fact it's Trump and, you know, it seems that it most certainly will be. Um, I, don't, I don't relish it, though. Like, I'm not, as a person who, you know, look, I vote Democratic, I'm a progressive. I, I, I don't think, oh, yay, this is so good for my right. party. Mm-hmm. You know, what I think of is, like, how do I explain this to my kids? Mm-hmm. You know, how do I explain this to my, my Spanish-speaking grandmother who is, like, afraid to go out? Right, and that's and that's what honestly just breaks my heart. Right, or the the kids who are going to school and having other kids say when Donald
1: Trump is president he's going to deport yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's definitely adding to this coarsening of our culture that haven't seen anything like that before. Um, and and on that, I was just going to say yeah. that it's interesting. Even when you know you do
4: hear GOP leaders speak out, um, what you hear more is that they're against Trump because he's not conservative enough. You don't hear <laughs> as much uh, they're against Trump because of his racist rhetoric. Um, you know, because you know he the, the things that he is saying is you know beyond the pale and should not be said by any leader in our country. What I'm hearing more is that you know, you know that he lacks some conservative principles, and so that. That is also dangerous, I think, for the Republican Party, that they're not taking a larger stance against um, the
1: fact that Trump has been very um, open about being against the Latino community. Right. Agreed. All right. I want our guests to stay with us. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to continue this conversation. And I want to talk about the Democrats. All right. All right. You're listening to The Leslie Marshall Show. Give us a call at 888 6 Leslie. That's 888-653-7543. Hit me on Twitter at DGiver123. I'm funny. We'll be right back.
0: (laughs) Leslie Marshall. Real people. Real life. Real talk. 888 6 Leslie.
1: for listening to a leslie marshall show this is Daniela gibbs leger from the center for american progress action fund filling in for leslie today uh i'm joined by angie kelly also of the center for american progress action fund and lizette ocampo with people for the american way we're talking about trump gop latino vote we've got a caller online too jeff from arizona you have some thoughts about our topic
5: Yes. Um, okay, I live in Arizona, of course, a border state. We've had many, many problems with uh, illegals coming through, not just Mexicans but other illegals. Um, I grew up in Orange County, so I grew up near San Diego and uh, another really border state, of course, in uh, California. Um, I have no problem with this rhetoric about the wall. Um, I don't think that's the whole uh, solution. I, I think it's uh, uh, it's a partial solution. I think the other solution is is that we must rein in people that overstay their visas. And this is probably the bigger problem is that people say they got a visa for five years and they just don't check in. Uh, they don't go back to Mexico or China, Asia, wherever they came from. Uh, they 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 break the law, and uh, so that's the other problem we have to fix on that. But I, you know, look, I have friends that are from Mexico. I have I've worked with uh, uh, Mexicans in construction for over twenty years.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, I know these people, um, and I have no problem if you you come over and you get a visa, and you stay. That's fine. But you can't overstay and you can't come over illegally. And I think the wall is a start. It's not a, a complete solution. Uh, when you mentioned George Bush, he's for amnesty. Okay? George Bush Sr. is for amnesty. Ronald Reagan is for amnesty. So these aren't conservatives, in my opinion. Okay?
1: Uh, gotcha. Jeff, I really appreciate your call and, you know, I. I may not agree with everything you say, but I, I appreciate the way in which you delivered your uh, your remarks. Yeah, so, I, I
3: actually found myself in some ways very much agreeing with you, um, which is that I think we both want to see a system whereby people come with visas and not with smugglers, um, so that legal immigration um, is what uh, is guiding folks that are coming to this country. Um, no one wins when people come without authorization. Um, Now, the question is, okay, so whose responsibility is that, right, to rewrite our immigration laws, to revamp the system? Um, And there have been efforts, bipartisan efforts. Um, You know, shockingly, the Senate functioned just a few years ago and passed an immigration bill that you would have liked in the sense that it really boosted up uh, border enforcement. Mm -hmm. Um, And I liked in the sense that it got kind of real about the fact that people, you know, the average undocumented immigrant has been here for 12 years. So these are not like accidental tourists, right? These are people, this is their home. And what that bill did was it recognized that, and it said to folks, all right, come forward, go through background checks, register. You'll get work authorization. Over time, you'll get a green card. Over time, you can become a citizen. That, to me, paired with enforcement, is just a much wiser, more sober approach that really is realistic, honors our immigrant tradition, and at the same time, restores the rule of law. So what happened with that bill that passed with a lot of Republicans and de- all the Democrats voting for it is that it just sat and, sat and sat and sat and sat and the House Republican leadership refused to move it they refused to solve the problem because they wanted a they wanted an issue that they could uh, that they could use as a political football um, and so I think that that's that's where um, you know we, we really do need to elect leaders that want to solve the the problem to reform the system and the problem with Trump frankly is just that it's very um, myopic. It's all about the border,
1: the right. other, right? It's yeah. And
3: and as opposed to, come on, let's just get let's get realistic here. Yeah,
1: and, and Lizette, I, wanted, I was going to ask you about that too because I understand Jeff's point, you know, especially he lives in Arizona about, you know, being a border state and, you know, building a wall sounds like a good idea, but A, you, you build a wall, people are going to find a way to get around it, and B, isn't net immigration from Mexico actually zero. at zero yes, right now? Yes, at zero.
3: Yeah. There yeah. are more people leaving I mean, than there are people coming in. Sorry, Lizette, go ahead.
4: Oh, no, yes. I was just part of the reason why you've seen, you know, enforcement numbers go up is because Um, you know, the folks at the border are more effective in um, catching, you know, or apprehending those who are attempting to cross the border. Um, But one other thing I wanted to talk to in terms of what Angie mentioned and what's realistic is, you know, another thing that Trump is talking about in addition to this wall is deporting everyone um, who is undocumented, building this wall, and then creating this process, which is just unrealistic. It's impractical. um, And I think, you know, our caller hopefully would understand how devastating that would be for Arizona and other states. If there were people who, as Angie mentioned, have already been here for many, many, many years, are part of the community, you know, are, you know, in, you know, working with you know a lot of people in the states, and it would really have a huge impact um, not only um, on the fact that it would be unpractical and expensive to try to implement, um, but it would damage the economies of our country and of the states. So there's a lot that Donald Trump is talking about that is very unrealistic and um, difficult to implement.
1: I feel like that's a a phrase that we can just make like an evergreen thing. What Donald (laughs) Trump is saying right now is unrealistic. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to pivot and talk about uh, Democrats and progressives. And I always, you know, have this fear of of folks on the left getting a little overconfident. So it seems like Donald Trump is going to be the nominee. And obviously he has a problem with the Latino vote. Uh, But that does not mean that they're going to turn out and vote for your candidates assuming it's going to be Hillary Clinton on the on the left. So, are there dangers in being too confident? Do you am I paranoid or do you actually see this sort of playing out in the things that you hear people saying right now? Um, do you feel that people are like, "Oh, this might be a little bit of a
3: cakewalk cuz Donald Trump's insane." Yeah, I mean, I think that there is a, a, a little bit of, "Oh my gosh, he's he's just so over the top." Surely people will get excited and want to come out and, you know, vote against him. Um I'm not I'm not uh, I I, it's so hard to predict (laughs) it's just it's it's crazy Um, but I think people want to be for something right they want to run to the voting booth they want to be for someone who they think is for them Mm -hmm. Um, and so that means that all the candidates in the Democratic Party like they have to lean into it right they have to earn the respect they have to show that they understand this community Mm -hmm. they have to be for them um, not just because they're Latinos, but because they're Americans and be respected that way. Right. Um, and so I think that's going to be the challenge for some Democratic candidates. Right. Well, I want to thank both of my guests, Angie and Lizette. Thank you
1: so much for joining me today on this very important topic. I'm sure we'll be talking about it much more. Again, this is Daniela Gibbs-Lagé, and you're listening to The Leslie Marshall Show. Give us a call at 888 6 That's 888-653-7543. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back. Hello, and welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. I am not Leslie Marshall. This is Daniela Gibbs-Laget with the Center for American Progress Action Fund. We are joined in studio by Mr. Benton Strong. <laughs> he is the Managing Director of Communications at the Center for American Progress Action Fund. Follow him on Twitter, at Benton Strong. He's kind of funny. He's not as funny <laughs> as I am, at DGiver123, but he'll do. I'm only That's funny that.
7: when I'm engaging with you on Twitter. That's It, it brings up my... <laughs> Q rating by a mile.
1: Yes, it does. <laughs> so I wanted to talk to you about Indiana. It's another primary day. Happy less than super Tuesday, everybody. <laughs> the countdown clocks on TV really annoy me. I'm like, what are you counting down CNN to? started
7: on Sunday.
1: I know. Two
7: days till the primary. As soon as they got done <laughs> being made fun of by Barack Obama on yeah. Saturday night, they started the countdown They're
1: clock. They're like, we're not self-aware. No. <laughs> Let's just start it right back up again. Uh, so some interesting things have been happening in the, in the great state of Indiana. Uh, I believe we have some audio of uh, Ted Cruz trying to talk to a Donald Trump supporter. I'll
0: tell you, this election matters. can't matter, 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 yeah, me. Yeah, it, it matter. does matter. It, it matters. Matter,
7: so I appreciate you coming out. How's I appreciate you coming out and standing up. And I think this entire process—I think anyone that wants to be president, has people in this state come in front of you and ask for your support—and I'm running to be everyone's president. Those who vote for me, we who don't, don't vote. want. <laughs> I'll tell you, this election <laughs> <laughs> matters a lot. Yeah, it does matter. It
2: matters
0: a matter So
7: I appreciate you coming out. I appreciate That's you it. coming out and standing up. And I think this entire process—I think anyone that wants to be president, <laughs> has <that laughs> people in this state come in front of you and ask for your support. And I'm running to be everyone's president. Those we don't, vote we don't, don't, want, go. You. We don't want
0: you. We're entitled to your view,
7: sir, and I will respect it. In fact, I will do the respect. math. I will you ask cases rights. to drop out, it's your turn. Well, take your own word. Now, I'm curious, sir. Time to uh, drop out. When sir. Donald doesn't get to
0: 1237, gonna get a call definitely going to get to 1237. No, he's no, he's, no,
7: he's going to get more than 1237. Let me ask you something, sir. What do you like about Donald?
2: Everything. Give me one. Everything. Give me
8: one. money. me pick any. I
7: Trump's up
2: The wall.
8: Okay, the wall. That's the main thing. All right. Great shit. All right. Hold on, on a yeah.
9: second.
7: Have you know on the wall? Oh, that Donald Cole <laughs> on New York Times a real real right. real right.
2: the and Well, sir. You know, take take actually, down ISIS.
1: So for a hot second, I felt sorry for Ted Cruz. Oh. Like a hot, hot second. He was trying to have a reasoned conversation with this Trump supporter, and he wasn't having any of it. It was kind of hilarious, I have to say. Uh, so I want to talk about what's happening there, and, like, Ted Cruz picked Carly for arena, which still makes me LOL. Uh, obviously he's going to lose, but, I mean, is there any chance that something happens tonight and people are going to say tomorrow, well, maybe Ted Cruz can do something
7: <laughs> I mean, first, first, can we can we talk about Ted Cruz and New York values? Yeah, and, and how he sounded like he was in debate club in that <laughs> in that segment, right? I mean, yes. I mean. He has one-on-one conversations in speech cadence. Yes, <laughs> like it's phenomenal how this man talks.
1: Are you saying he's not a human? I'm just.
7: I'm saying that if a if a progressive dude at the Center for American Progress Action Fund talk like that, one of you would be holding up a mansplaining sign <laughs> at me, uh, at me specifically. Yeah. Uh, uh, but no, I mean like. No, (laughs) he's 15 points behind Donald Trump, and the polls have made it extremely clear, and the results up to now have made it extremely clear that when Trump is way ahead in the state, he wins – more recently by more than the polls are saying he's going to win by. Yeah. And I I just can't even explain how ridiculous the decision to put Carly Fiorina on the ticket was. First of all, you're losing by 500 delegates. Second of all, (laughs) second of all, you're doubling down on crazy. I mean, Carly Fiorina was out of the race in in 2014. Like, (laughs) like no one has ever liked her as a presidential candidate. The, The best thing that happened when Carly Fiorina got on the ticket last week was Barbara Boxer who ran away with that Senate race mm-hmm. against her a few years ago, who just like went on a Rand Paul-style Twitter storm <laughs> being up on Carly Fiorina. And, and then Carly Fiorina did the thing that you cannot do, which is have a viral video falling off of a stage. I mean, everything I mean,
5: there... has gone
7: wrong for Ted <laughs> yeah. Cruz in Indiana. And so, no, I mean, I don't see a scenario where Cruz is even competitive in the state whatsoever. I actually always thought it was kind of ridiculous that – it was Cruz that took Indiana and Kasich that took the West Coast states when Kasich is a neighbor to this state. Right. And and a hero to the right to work people mm-hmm. in the state of Indiana. Um uh but I mean what are you shocked that the Republicans <laughs> uh going against Donald Trump made a bad political decision. It's just one <laughs> in the long list. And so I think after tonight, you know, I think you'll hear Donald Trump talking about being the presumptive nominee. And I, the, the reality of it is is even the media is now saying this race is over. Yeah. This race is Uh, has a bigger gap than the Democratic race does. I mean, Mm -hmm. this race is over.
1: It is over. And, you know, I mean, obviously he picked Carly because he wanted to somehow stay relevant, stay in a news cycle. They're playing like the Cleveland game, but I just don't think they're not going to make it (laughs) to California. So it's it's very – it's just fascinating. And I, I need to talk about Mike Pence. Oh, man. The Mike Pence endorsement (laughs) of Ted Cruz. I've seen more enthusiastic endorsements of like Duke University by UNC students. (laughs) Like, he's like, let me tell you about Donald Trump. Let me tell you about five ways that Donald Trump is so great. But I'm
7: still endorsing Ted Cruz. I mean, is this... But the, but here's here will be the, the measuring stick. Is the Mike Pence endorsement of Cruz worse than the Ben Carson endorsement of Trump? Who? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, does that tell you everything you need to know about Ted Cruz? I, I think there was a great um, conversation that happened yesterday about, about Cruz and his chances of winning, in, in which you look at some of the polling data that Cruz himself tries to trump it. And he makes this argument that oh i would be the best one on one person against donald trump and if you look at the polling before trump was just in the 40s and now and the, the anti trump movement is there and what has become very clear is that the movement was against Donald Trump. It never liked Ted Cruz. No, it was Cruz was never their guy, right? <laughs> right? And 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 the movement, quite frankly, the reason it was unsuccessful was because they couldn't figure out who their person was. Yeah. And in reality, it should have been Marco Rubio if you had to pick somebody who had a chance of winning. Right. And or- it wasn't, which is why Rubio hasn't endorsed because I think he's hoping he's playing to Cleveland in the 2020 game himself. Yes. But it does. But but I mean. Cruz is the last guy at the party who hasn't yet figured out that no one talked to him before they left. I mean, he's stuck here, and I don't know how he gets out of it,
1: Yeah. I mean, well, it's just kind of par for the course for him. I mean, he is, like, one of the most unpopular people in the Senate, so, like, who cares if
7: he's not doing well in the presidential?
1: It's just like another day for Ted Cruz.
7: The Lindsey Graham joke about killing him on the Senate far will go down as the best joke in the 2016 presidential election.
1: Oh, I miss Lindsey Graham. He was so funny.
7: And John Boehner, too, right? Yeah.
1: Oh, my goodness. We can't repeat what he said. Yeah. <laughs>
7: <laughs> it, was, it was amazing.
1: Uh, so let's talk about the Democratic side. Um, what have you been hearing about what's happening? Because it seems like it's getting closer between right. Bernie and Hillary in Indiana.
7: It's tightened up a bit, right? Yeah. I think the, 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 the most recent polls show uh, Clinton up by four mm-hmm. Um uh, you know that that would be. I think that would be a good sign for her if she gets above fifty and she wins this one and, and gets the delegates. And the, the math—we've talked about this every week now. The math on this one is pretty straightforward. Is that if she splits the delegates all the mm-hmm. way through California, she she gets the number and she'll win the primary. And I think that she's thinking about it in that way. You saw story after story after story this week talking about how they're looking for a way, as Chuck Todd referred to, it, to land the plane. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but it, I think the 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 proof is in where they are. He pulled his staff out of Indiana, and he's in California. Hillary Clinton was in West Virginia and Kentucky yesterday. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying they've written off Indiana, but I think they both know with whatever their internals are saying who's going to win tonight. Yeah. Uh, and I and I have to think that it's going to be Hillary Clinton, but I have to also think that they're going to basically split the delegates, mm-hmm. and that's really why they're not there. Is that when you look at it, if, if there's neither one of them is going to go hard in either direction, and so you, you know don't spend a lot of money at the end of a campaign when Hillary Clinton's trying to gear up to run in a general election right. in a state like Indiana, which actually does have a couple of pretty big media markets, particularly in the Democratic primary, where you need to hit Chicago in order oh, to touch right. the northwestern part of the state.
1: That's it's not a lot worth of money. The money. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. So speaking of Hillary, uh, we've got a caller on the line. We have Michael from the Bronx. Go ahead, Michael.
8: Hello, Daniela. Hello, everybody. You know, the way I see it, I think Hillary, um, if it came down Hillary versus Trump, because I keep hearing the presumptive nominees, um, Hillary would do far better Then Trump, when you gotta consider the minority votes, the Latino votes, I mean, every time Trump opens his big, ugly mouth talking all hateful rhetoric and inciting violence, the average American civilian does not condone that. And even if they and somebody did not like Hillary, they would probably prefer Hillary over Trump. This whole thing about building a war, you know, that really, really concerns me. And no one talks about the Canadian war, the northern border, and whereby you had two Caucasian um what's the word I'm looking for? Um Fugitives that crossed the border, got as far down as Utah before they were recognized. No one paid any attention to that. You know, and when I say no one, I'm referring to these doggone Republicans. And let me make one more note on this. is that I saw a report in which Virginia Republicans are scheming to block 200,000 people from voting. Why? These 200,000 people have served time in prison, and the Democratic governor had signed an executive order restoring their rights to vote and and took into account that there are many um, people that were wrongfully convicted. It's the people that were wrongly convicted due to police or prosecutorial misconduct or witness um, perjury. All right. So. Thank
1: you. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for your call. Really good points. You know, Benton and I were just talking about um, he's discussing what Terry McAuliffe, the governor of Virginia, uh, just signed an executive order allowing 200,000, um, I believe it's ex-felons who have mm-hmm. served their time, served their parole and reenfranchised them so they can now vote. And when it happened, I walked into Benton's office and I said, so can... This be overturned if a new governor comes in or whatever. And he's like, "Yeah," and I was like, yeah, no one's gonna do that because you don't taking away someone's vote like that is it's bad." And even if it will further your political goals, like no one's gonna be that stupid. And well, we were proven wrong. Well, but yeah, yeah, we're, they we're,
7: will. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, 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 we laugh, but it is it it happens in North Carolina, like right, right next door. Right? right, the 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 Republicans in North Carolina just actually got. Um, a federal judge to uphold their voter suppression laws that they passed after the Voting Rights Act was weakened by the Supreme Court. What's happened in North Carolina is exactly what we said told the Supreme Court would happen if they weaken the Voting Rights Act, mm-hmm. and it, it's happened in Alabama. It's happened in Texas. It's happened in Wisconsin. I'm, yes, they will block these people from voting, and yeah. and they're also completely open about why they're doing it, and mm-hmm. because they say that. If you allow these folks to vote, it's an advantage to Democrats, Right. Um, to which I still I think I said this to Igor here on this show last week. I applaud Terry McAuliffe for stepping up and saying, you know what, if you want their vote, go get it, go earn it. Exactly. And probably (laughs) blocking them from getting their vote back is the first (laughs) wrong step in doing that. I mean, it's just so painfully obvious that that this is sort of a a failed step. But let me say one thing to the caller's first point, Mm -hmm. talking about. What the, what the electorate looks like. I was on, a, yeah. I was on with a, a different show with Chuck Rocha this morning, which is like – he's like my favorite person talking about how black and brown people get engaged in politics. Mm-hmm. And it, he was basically saying consultants, what they do, they have to be able to measure things. And, the, and he's a political consultant. He owns a firm that is run by uh, uh, people of color. And he, he said we, we need to be able to measure voter turnout, demographic trends, you name it. And, and he said the thing is we don't know what we can't measure. And when I say, well, here's the thing you can't measure right now, you don't know the impact that Donald Trump is going to have on the Republican vote. Right. 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 We know Mm -hmm. that that looking at the data that he's going to do significant damage to the to the independent and the Democratic vote that he may have that a Republican may have had a chance of winning. Mm -hmm. We know that that the numbers of black women and Latinas and. Unmarried women. And I could go down the list. The the, his unfavorable amongst those groups are through the roof. I mean, his general unfavorables, I think, are in the 60s. His unfavorables amongst them are in the 80s. But but to his point, to your caller's point, what what we don't know is, will Republican voters not show up to vote for Donald Trump? That would be new. So it's something we wouldn't be able to measure. And if his if the if he hurts the Republican base in that way that he turns off some voters, this could be a historic landslide election for Hillary Clinton, or and for the Democratic Party, but could also do permanent damage to the Republican Party.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's everything about this campaign season has been unprecedented. Everything that I said, like beginning in June of last year about Donald Trump has been wrong, evidenced by the fact that he's still here. He's (laughs) going to be the GOP nominee. Uh, You know, for people who are into politics like us, it's, it's amazing and it's a wonderful time to be alive. It's frightening when you listen to the things that he's saying, the things that his supporters are saying. Uh, so, yeah, there's definitely a lot to unpack. I do want to talk to you before you go, though, about uh, Veep stakes because, you know, it's DC. Of and we love to talk about the parlor game of who's going to be the VP. Uh-oh. Uh, so, all right, here's who we hear on the Clinton side. It's Warren. It's Perez. It's Castro. It's Brown. It's Kane. It's Booker do any of those people like who do you think those people are do you have like a dark horse person that like is not on this list that you think could get picked who's your dream pick
7: oh the dream pick that's a scary one I, I, I might pull a near candidate and not go down the road with you but, <laughs> <laughs> but I you know I think I think the top two candidates have to be Kane and and Sherrod Brown I, I, I just think Tim Kane is the perfect said the perfect sort of track to get to this point he's good on foreign is policy. He not too- well, that's kind of what you want, though, right? I mean this is a – got to think about 2008, right, when, when Barack Obama picked Joe Biden. The question was mm-hmm. would he pick Hillary Clinton, but you don't pick somebody who overshadows you on the ticket. Right. Right, so uh, Tim Kaine is good. He's strong. He could be the future of the Democratic Party. He could be president sure. down the road, and I think Sherrod Brown is the same way, and Sherrod Brown really drills into the working people issues in a way that – Bernie Sanders has been attacking Hillary Clinton for not doing, even though I'd argue sure. she does. So, you know, I think I think that's a that's an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think your dark horse candidates, you have to look out to the west to find those folks. You have to look okay. at a John Hickenlooper. Um, you could think about, uh, uh, you know, somebody like a like a Montana person, even a Schweitzer who's been out of office for a little bit. But I do think you need to think of some a person of color if you're going to do that. And and so I think it's a little bit open to what that could look like. But mm-hmm. I, I think that yeah, look for someone from the Western part of the United States. Yeah. If if you uh, want to think of who the sort of Democratic governors and big senators could be, who might have a chance of Michael Bennett, for example, oh, is, yes. not, is not a crazy uh, mm-hmm. option. Um, so I think think of that if you're thinking about, thinking about a dark horse candidate. And a dream, I, I really don't know, to be honest with you. I don't think Booker's a dream. I think he's doing a great job in the Senate. I think the same thing could be said about Elizabeth Warren. Yeah.
1: And uh, we got to go. But on the Trump side, I can't think of who would want to be his running mate. Like, who's going to say yes to that? Who, who wants to have a future in the Republican Party?
7: Does anybody want to have a future in Donald Trump's Republican Party? Oh. Might as well just take it now, <laughs>
1: right? That's a really good point. <laughs> Thank you, Benton Strong, for joining me today. Follow him on Twitter at Benton Strong. This is Daniela gibbs Leger with the Center for American Progress Action Fund filling in for Leslie Marshall. Go to take a quick break. We'll be back. You can't see into the studio, but Sally and I are jamming out to that song. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Leslie Marshall Show. I am not Leslie Marshall. This is Daniela gibbs Leger from the Center for American Progress Action Fund, filling in for her this afternoon. Uh, give us a call. Join our conversation at 888 6 Leslie. That's 888-653-7543. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the beautiful state of North Carolina. It's lovely. I've been there... Charlotte's a wonderful place. I love Raleigh, but some really horrible things have been happening, mostly at the state house. Uh, the latest is the anti-LGBT bill that was passed um, by Governor Pat McCrory, HB2, that he signed, basically under the cloak of darkness because he knew it was such a horrible bill. Um, and the reaction was swift. I believe we have some audio of uh, some people who have spoken out against it.
3: PayPal would have brought 400 jobs and invested $3.6 million in Charlotte by 2017. But today,
2: the company announced it is nixing its planned expansion over House
3: Bill 2. That
2: decision comes two weeks after the tech company announced plans to build a global operations center here in
1: Charlotte. I don't know how you can get more of a concrete detrimental consequence than a major company pulling out of a planned expansion that would have bought jobs and money to the state. I am joined today to talk about this by two great people. uh, Sarah McBride, uh, my colleague, is the Campaigns and Communications Manager for LGBT Policy at the Center for American Progress. Uh, You can follow her on Twitter at Sarah E. McBride. Uh, She posted a selfie in a bathroom in North Carolina that went viral beyond imagination. I highly encourage everyone to read her very poignant words. And we're also joined by Matt Hershey, who is Director of Advancement at Equality NC, Equality North Carolina. You can follow him on Twitter also at Matt Hershey. Matt and Sarah, thank you both for joining me today. Thanks for having me.
6: Likewise
1: so matt you're on the ground uh you live in north carolina can you talk a little bit about what's been happening since this bill got passed
6: uh yeah i mean what we've seen is an overwhelmingly negative reaction to uh to this terrible bill and and uh it's just uh, really what keeps me up at night is what effect this has on our kids and what this message says to our kids but this is this is an, not just an anti-trans bill. While, while the trans community is certainly the focus of the bill and a very clear target of the bill, uh, this is an anti-labor bill, this is an anti-LGBT bill, this is an anti-woman bill. It's, uh, it's just bad policy. And so we've seen uh, not just corporations, but a whole host of faith leaders and other voices really standing up and saying, hey, this, isn't, this doesn't match with our values. These aren't, are not our North Carolina values.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you about the other groups who are involved. So it seems like they're faith leaders, there are other, you know, labor leaders. Uh, are you are you surprised by the amount of um, sort of groups joining together uh, to speak out against this, or you're not surprised by that at all?
6: No, I mean, North Carolina is a, 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 a really interesting place politically. I mean, there's been a great movement uh, for many years of allied coalition partners talking about, you know, kind of, uh, you know, Bad laws are bad for everybody, and uh, it's 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 well past time to put a stop to it. So, so I'm not not necessarily surprised. I think that our our opposition is very surprised. I, I think they didn't they didn't know that uh, that they weren't going to be able to get away with this, and so I'm I'm glad to see that we're uh, really sticking together through this.
1: Yeah. I mean, I know they, like I said, they passed under the cloak of darkness, but social media does exist. People were going to find out about this and be very outraged. Uh, Sarah, you've done a lot of work looking at the economic impact of these bills. I know you did a lot of research into Indiana and in North Carolina. Can you talk about, from an economic standpoint, sort of what North Carolina stands to lose?
9: Absolutely. And, and Matt sort of touched on it, and the quotes in the beginning sort of touched on it as well. But there has been a significant economic backlash uh... to this bill to hb two uh, in indiana last year when they passed an overly broad RIFRA that gave a license to discriminate under the guise of religious freedom uh... to businesses across the state the economic impact was was swift as well indiana lost uh... or put at risk about two hundred and fifty million dollars in the weeks following uh... the passage of their overly broad RIFRA. and in, in north carolina it's been even more um the uh, economic impact analysis that my colleagues and I put together found that that North Carolina has lost or put at risk over half a billion dollars in uh, activity for the state's economy over the next two and a half years, and that's over a 1,000 jobs that the state has lost, including uh, companies like Deutsche Bank and and PayPal. Uh, And it really just underscores the fact that the business community knows that uh, creating LGBT-inclusive workplaces and communities Uh, is not just good for LGBT people. It's good for the bottom line. It's good for the broader company and the broader state. And it also underscores for politicians that you can't be pro-business and pro-discrimination
1: at the same time. Mm -hmm. So with all that pressure that's happening, and and given all the companies and the musicians who have backed out and like Bruce Springsteen saying, I'm not going to come and play shows here, do you think it's working? Um, and if it's not working, what else needs to be done? Like, is McCrory, is he just dug in? And I'll, I'll ask both of you that question. Matt, well, you can I think, start.
9: I think the, 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 the business backlash is absolutely a start. People need to understand that, that um, again, you can't be pro-business and pro-discrimination, that the best way to grow an economy is to include and utilize the talents of every worker. Um, but we need to go further. We need to make sure that we are lifting up the voices of people impacted by HB2, not just the transgender students or transgender people impacted, but the, the lower-wage workers who, who are now facing uh, municipalities who can't increase livable wage laws. Um, the, the LGBT people at large who've lost, uh, non-discrimination protections. And frankly, the, 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 uh, people, people from marginalized communities across the state that, that saw their rights undermined and their protections diminished because of HB2. Um, and, and we need to make sure that we do that moving forward. But I think more broadly, voters need to make sure they remember, um, who, uh, who supported this law and, and who are taking actions to make sure that it is repealed.
1: Mm -hmm. Matt, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think
6: that's right. I mean, at the end of the day, boycotts do work. And while I, I've been trying to encourage people to come to North Carolina and to invest in North Carolina because North Carolina needs you right now, mm-hmm. um, you know, every every kind of uh, angle on on people's responses is, has been overwhelming. I mean, the, the the generosity that's been been given from folks in the form of public statements, boycotts, and uh, and what we like to call bycots here in North Carolina have all been powerful and they are working. I mean, just today we've seen several uh uh you know several um folks reconsidering their bills and, and this uh, excuse me their votes on this issue and and that's not just on one side of the aisle here. You know, we've we've got a lot of people that are having discussions and talking about fixes. And really a lot of folks are talking about repeal because this is this is really the only solution to this.
1: You mentioned the boycotts. What exactly is that?
6: <laughs> well, it's a it's a, a, a term uh, coined. I won't take credit for it. I think it's first first used by my friend Mitchell Gold. Uh, but I think that um, at the end of the day, what it means is, is again, we want people to come here. We want to invest here, and we want them to invest in the groups that are making change here, because mm-hmm. we need uh, we need some change, and 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 we're going to have to have other people help us do it.
1: So. That's optimistic, though, that there are, you feel that there are people who voted for this bill. It sounds like they're possibly considering changing their minds. Um, What can, you know, I'm a listener. I live in Washington, D.C. You know, I don't have a company or I don't have a conference or something that I can plan in your state. Like, what can I do to help change this law?
6: Sure. That's a great question. Uh, You know, we we can always use your support. There's lots of great groups here on the ground that could use your support. I really think about our direct service providers, you know, the LGBT Center of Raleigh, Time Out Youth in Charlotte, that could definitely use support right now and how they're responding and, and working with youth. But beyond that, our leaders need to hear from you, and 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 uh, and and your leaders need to be reaching out to our leaders and having those discussions as well. And so I think some of that's already happening. But those are just a few great examples of ways people can get engaged, and certainly. You know, working in conjunction with the Center for American Progress and Equality North Carolina uh, to, to kind of learn more about this issue and find out ways to get involved as always recommended.
1: Well, great. All right, you guys stick around. We're going to take a quick break. Again, we want to take your calls, so call us at 888 6 Again, that's 888-653-7543. We're talking North Carolina, these anti-LGBT bills and what we can do about them. I'm Daniela gibbs Leje with the Center for American Progress Action Fund. Stick around. We'll be right back.
0: Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall show. 8886 Leslie. <music>
1: Thanks for listening. This is the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Daniela Gibbs-Laget with the Center for American Progress Action Fund filling in for Leslie this afternoon. We are talking North Carolina, the HB2 bill, and why these anti-LGBT laws are seemingly so prevalent these days. I am joined by Sarah McBride, who is with the LGBT policy team at CAP, and Matt Hershey, who is with the Equality North Carolina folks down in North Carolina. Um, so Sarah, I want to ask you, um, we're talking about North Carolina, but I know that North Carolina isn't the only state where this is happening. Um, you know, What do you see out there on the landscape? What other places do we need to be worried about where these bills either are popping up or might be popping up?
9: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. This year, there were approximately 200 anti-LGBT bills introduced in state legislatures across the country, and about 50 of those bills were anti-transgender bills. Um, Fortunately, uh, we saw the veto of uh, an anti-transgender bill that was passed in South South Dakota by a conservative Republican governor who, after taking the time to study the issue, realized that there was no reason to bar transgender people, transgender students in particular, from bathrooms in accordance with their gender identity. Um, We saw another bill uh, die in Tennessee, but there are still approximately 10 bills pending, anti-transgender bills pending in in states across the country. Um, And right now, uh, there's actually an effort in Congress to uh, codify a religious exemption in the president's uh, recent executive order from a year ago that prohibited discrimination against LGBT employees of federal contractors.
1: You know, just Congress, you know, it's like either they're not doing anything or they're doing stuff like this. Um, 200 bills, that's that's an enormous number of bills. Um, you know, I'm going to choose to focus on the South Dakota and, and be positive that a very conservative state and a very conservative governor could actually see the light on this issue, so that's a good thing. Uh, but that number is, is definitely very concerning. And I want to talk to both of you about how presidential politics sort of plays into this issue. Uh, Obviously, you had Donald Trump surprisingly weigh in and um, say what seemed like common sense, which is sometimes weird coming from him, uh, and that he thought the bill was a bad idea. And then you had Ted Cruz just go the exact opposite and go above and beyond to be as offensive as possible to the point where he is running horrible ads in my opinion uh so matt i'm curious uh how the presidential dynamics and they weighing in on this how how's affecting what's happening on the ground in north carolina
6: you well know, it really is an interesting question so here's the deal i think that again we go back to this thing being passed under the cover of darkness i think that unfortunately leadership of the, the governing party here in North Carolina, we have a supermajority, and that's how I'll phrase that. <laughs> mm-hmm. leadership of the, of the governing party here um, uh, really thought that this was a good way for them to kind of play to their base in, in a year of what I'll call Trump politics. And what they're realizing is is that even Donald Trump doesn't agree with what they did. I mean, li- literally. Like, a few days ago, he, he literally said... You know, what they did there was really extreme, I think, was the exact right to use. And so so what they're realizing is they can't get away with stuff like this anymore. And so even though it's an election year, like, mm-hmm. people can can see through what, what exactly they've done here pretty clearly.
1: Well, that's reassuring to know. Uh, I, I am curious to see how this issue sort of plays out moving forward, given that Donald Trump is the presumptive uh, Republican nominee. Again, it just just goes to Donald Trump being a a very strange enigma of a candidate that I can't quite uh, wrap my mind around. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit and and talk about pop culture. um, One of my favorite things to discuss and how it relates to this issue. I, I don't know about you guys, but I have been watching. I am Kate. And there's like a long story about how I got somebody like tricked me into watching keeping up with the Kardashians. And now I'm completely obsessed. Uh, so I've been following them for a while and following, you know, um, Caitlyn Jenner's story. And I, I have to say, putting her politics aside, um, this season has been remarkable uh, in that it has it's focused on her friends, her, her friends who are trans women who come from every walk of life uh, and talking about their struggles and, you know, their just their day to day. Uh, And even seeing a little bit – hopefully this isn't a spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't watched the whole season – but seeing Caitlyn's transition from being, I'm going to be Ted Cruz's, you know, trans ambassador to, oh my god, I can't believe he's saying these things. Do you think that shows like this and the fact that Caitlyn Jenner is such a a popular figure in our pop culture, you know, can culture in this way move – policy, will it move people, you know, will it move towards greater uh, acceptance, or am I being naive? Uh, Sarah, I'll start with you. Sarah, do we lose Sarah? I'm, I'm on. Can you hear me? Oh, there you are.
9: Yeah. Can you hear me? I was just going to say, I think absolutely there's no question that, that public stories, including stories like Caitlyn Jenner. Um, help to open people's minds and and, and open their hearts to transgender people. There's a saying that that a trans advocate uses very frequently, which is that it's it's impossible to hate someone whose story you know. Um, And I think the more people we have telling their stories, the more people we have putting a face to this issue and to this identity, uh, the more the public will continue to change and continue to embrace trans people, trans identities, and
1: trans equality. Great. And Matt, what are your thoughts on this?
6: Yeah yeah, my, my take on that so, so you know we work with legislators and so my take on that quote, Sarah is you know it's hard to deny someone's existence when they're sitting across the table from you. Um, it's still possible, but it's hard to do. Uh, so, so I think thats I think that's right. You know I mean there, there are so many wonderful role models out there for our trans youth and, and Sarah is definitely one of them um, out there you know and, and people are starting to connect online with, 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 with folks and, and learn more about, who trans people are and, and the, the fact that they just want to live their lives like the rest of us, and they want to participate in this in this country just like the rest of us. So I think it, we are at a critical moment for the trans community and for the trans rights movement, and um, it's really unprecedented to see you know the business backlash and the chorus of voices that have spoken out condemning the law here and, and who are willing to come and, and really uh, be a resource for folks.
1: And this is what happened, I think it's in in Missouri, correct? Like there was somebody who gave a very like moving um, speech on I think their you know, their state house talking about how this issue touched them personally and that's why the bill didn't pass. I think you're right. The more that we can bring these stories out, the more that people can meet other trans people and, and understand like the real life consequences that these bills have it's not just some theoretical thing like you are deeply impacting people's lives um, and people who just want to live out the American dream like you do uh, I, I want to thank Sarah and Matt for a great conversation, keep fighting the fight and doing the great work that you guys are doing. This is Daniela gibbs J filling in for Leslie Marshall uh, give us a call at 888 6 That's 888-653-7543. You hear that Beyonce in the background. Stick around. We'll be right back. Can't see us, but we're getting information <laughs> in the studio. <laughs> Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Daniela Gibbs Leger filling in for Leslie. If you want to talk about Beyonce, give us a call at 888 6 Leslie. Again, that's 888 653 7543. I don't even know where to begin with this album. Uh, first, let me introduce my guest, uh, Mariam Adamu. With, he, she's a research director, a research associate uh, with the Early Childhood team at CAP. We can talk about policy and the kids, and maybe we'll get to that. But I haven't to a talk about Beyonce at <laughs> Lemonade at the moment. So I feel like I need to do a little bit of a disclosure. Yes. I, I like Beyonce. I always liked her. You know, I'd always download a couple songs here and there, Mm -hmm. never a full album. The Bajancy probably could have came for me, and I couldn't have argued because I'm not, like, a stan. So that's me until that Sunday. That fateful Saturday, it was a Saturday night at 9 yeah, o'clock. You
10: can't even keep track of the days because it messed up your life.
1: <laughs> it, it, it totally wrecked my life I, in a great way. I, I had to watch it on delay because I was doing something else. Then my husband's like, I want to watch something else. I'm like, well, I'm going to go upstairs and watch it then. And like, so I literally followed the Twitter conversation like 20 minutes behind so mm. I could be as I was watching it. And I it it was just amazing. My first question to you
10: is, how many times have you listened to the album? It would be amazing (laughs) if I could count such a thing. (laughs) Um, But just to give you perspective, watched the premiere... Um, went to Busboys to meet some friends, and they were already playing it in Busboys. So that was, like, time number two. Well-played Busboys. Um, like, in the span of, like, an hour after it finished. Yes. Went home, and my roommate hadn't seen it, and I was like, you need to see this. Yeah. Woke up the next morning, I was like, I think I'd like to start my day off with this. Visual. So I was already consuming it. Like, more than anything else. Yes. More than I was, like, talking to other humans.
1: <laughs> more than you were uttering English words, words <laughs> you were yeah. watching this album.
10: Uh, yeah, I, I watched it, and
1: then I watched it again later that night. And then the next day I watched it again. And my husband was like, can we, we're running out of room on our DVR. Can we? <laughs> I was like, no. Protect this. (laughs) It's it's still there. Although now that I have it on my phone, I could probably, I can delete it from the DVR, but I probably won't. Uh, I think there were so many things that I want to talk about. For me, I want to talk about the visuals for a minute Mm -hmm. and how well thought out they were and how each of them held a certain significance and how beautiful it was. And how, just as a, as a black woman, how great it was to see just us yeah just on screen just celebrated Serena Torkin I mean oh it God. was it was it was everything now because I feel like because I'm not a Stan, like maybe my words carry more weight because I'm not like a, ah,
10: the person. You were
1: already inclined. I, I to wasn't it. already inclined to like you know show up to a watch party wearing Ivy Park outfits. I'm like just our saying. our colleague like, who, will not who, will, be named. who will not be named, but she did, and that's okay. But that's not me. Uh, but I I ended, I ended my viewing saying, that was one of the most impactful. Powerful statements of black womanhood that I had seen come from a, a contemporary artist.
10: Yeah, I think totally. I I like the whole thing was breathtakingly beautiful um, and very well thought out. And the poetry that connected the songs, mm-hmm. it was just like we were seeing Beyonce as like an artist and a visionary, not just like someone who sings songs and is like dances on stage. She's like someone right. who even if like she herself is not out there like putting together every piece of this mm-hmm. um she has like the genius to assemble a team that can put together something of this scale Great. which I think is leadership like
1: <laughs> and, like that's important and like you know like I used to work uh, at Sony Music so I I don't claim to be a, a expert on the industry but I know how albums are put together I worked in a department mm. that like, help put together all the albums and i know how many people it takes to do that and i i feel like people are unnecessarily coming for her talking about how many writers she has and all this first of all when you use samples you credit the the original artist as right and people would come for her if she didn't do that right (laughs) you know and i i'm like why why are people so why do people feel the need that they have to like tear her down that way like why do you think that is are people are people just haters
10: Right. I mean, I think that's part of it. I was uh, I was thinking about it, and there's a colleague. I was working with a, a white male colleague who was just like, "I don't think I would ever want to hang out with Beyonce. Like, she just doesn't seem fun." And I was like, "Like, a it's, okay, it's like adorable that you think that Beyonce is like here for you. That's right. cute." But the other thing that's really interesting is I think the level of just um, like focus and control and um, just sort of dedication that she has to have to be, like, a black woman to make it to the level that she's made it to, like, perhaps that means that, like, she's not smiling in everybody's face, but also not everybody deserves a smile. And I'm, like, just proud of, like, her ability to, like, get to where I think she probably always wanted to be. Exactly. I mean, I think
1: (laughs) to be an artist of that stature and to be able to create what she created and Mm -hmm. to have HBO say okay we're gonna give up like our most prime viewing time (laughs) to you Madam Beyonce I think that says a lot about her talent and her capabilities and it's just I've been seeing stuff on Twitter and it's kind of making me mad and I feel like I want to pull out my old Sony music hat and be like actually right (laughs) you're wrong and stop hating uh but I want to talk about the evolution of Beyonce absolutely so it seems to me that people can't Some people, some of these same aforementioned haters, can't wrap their minds around the fact that she is growing as an artist. Mm -hmm. As if people are, you know, stagnant beings who, when they put out an album at 16, like, that's the person that they're supposed to be for the rest of their career. Like, obviously, I think she has grown out from underneath her dad. Some can say she has grown out from underneath Jay Mm -hmm. and has, you know blossomed into this person we've seen before so do you think that when she stood on stage with the feminist sign behind her do you think like that's when it was like okay she's yeah. coming or is it before that
10: I don't know I feel like it's been a like a steady build towards like a changing of her politics uh, a, a like a realization of sort of her power and I think with some of that power it's you know comes great responsibility <laughs> so I think it's also like the realization of that so I don't I don't like Like, formation, I think, was, like, a huge moment for me in, like, Mm -hmm. uh, situating her as her, like, black womanhood. Um, But I think there's, like, been a distinct change in, like, her rhetoric. Like, in Destiny's Child had a song called Nasty Girl, and it was, like, it was Nasty Put Some Clothes On. And it was, like, (laughs) very in the, like, slut-shaming, like, realm. But, like, that's not who Beyonce is. Today, I think right. she's, like, encouraging women to just do what makes them happy. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important to, like, acknowledge that, like, that's a process and, like, you don't just kind of, like, wake up one day and right. with a whole different politics. Right. And that it's
1: it's okay and it's natural
10: to have that evolution. Right. And we want that. We like, do want that. We want people
1: to grow. We want all of our people to grow and learn and have experiences. And it just seems weird that it seems like some people don't want to allow her to do that. Uh, you mentioned formation that mm-hmm. was what was playing as we came on the air. How perfect is that song to a be the first single but also be the last song in the album?
10: yeah Right. It's like, it's the full circle. Like, when that came on, I was like, I need to both get information. I, like, need to get my life together. Right. But I also, like, need to get information. Like, right. I think a lot of people have, like, noticed that play on words of, like, mm-hmm. she's calling on us. to Like, whether or not she meant this. But right. everyone's like, she's calling on us to, like, read some books and, like, get yes. our lives together in more ways than one. Exactly. Um, and I love that you can, like, read in, like, those two readings are both different perfectly adequate right and
1: you know and when we come back i want to talk about that information part Mm -hmm. and you know sort of what is next we talked about you know with great power comes great responsibility so we're in a presidential cycle you know Mm -hmm. i don't know if she's like supporting a particular candidate but in terms of black women's empowerment and voting like what what can we expect from her what should we expect from her Stick around. We'll be back. We're talking Beyonce, Lemonade. Uh, give us a call. We're at 888 leslie Again, that's 888-653-7543. This is Danielle gibbs Lejay filling in. Stick around. We'll be back.
0: Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. 888-6 Leslie.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Daniela Gibbs-Laget filling in for Leslie today. I'm joined uh, by my fabulous guest, uh, Mariam Adamu, here with the early childhood team at CAP. We're talking about Beyonce, and we're talking about Lemonade. Uh, During the break, we were both talking about how this album is the only thing that was capable of pushing the Hamilton musical off our permanent rotation. I think I've been listening to that nonstop since I don't know what summer. Yeah. So, yeah. I didn't think it would happen. Kudos, Beyonce. I didn't didn't think it would happen. Um, But here we are. Uh, I love you, Lin-Manuel, forever. Uh, (laughs) We've got a caller on line two, Joe in Phoenix. Hi, Joe. Hi.
6: Hey, how's it going? Um, I I think uh, Beyonce's greatest gift to America will be like the... uh, uh, the speaking to which I I think maybe maybe you agree uh, speaking to the maybe the toughest demographic to be in in America is the young black female like transitioning from uh, childhood to uh, to teenage years and adulthood like I it, society just seems to be stacked against in in, in a very tough way against uh, young young black women and uh, so like when she speaks to that I think is great. But then there's um, songs on Lemonade that are about Jay Z cheating on her or something that
1: maybe we don't know for sure. Oh, just- <laughs> we extrapolate these things.
6: <laughs> yeah, and like I, I know Beyonce's been involved in charity since like day one of her stardom. But it, you know, like uh, absolutely when she when she talks to young black girls, it says uh, you know young black girls rock. You know, black girls rock that that whole social movement. I think that's her greatest gift to, uh, you know, black American, just America, you know, at large, you know, cause nothing, nothing succeeds like success. And so she's, uh, you know, just speaking positivity to that very narrow, uh, demographic. I think that's, that's her, her beauty and her, in her wonder and her, uh, uh exceptional, exceptional.
1: Thanks, Joe. Qualities. That's a great that's a great comment, thank you. and you know there is that that line I think they quote from Malcolm X, where he talks about like the hardest person to be in America is a black woman mm-hmm. um and i I think that's that's still true. you know bring a little policy into this discussion, you yeah. know when you look across every sort of socioeconomic factor, you know black women are are struggling,
10: yeah, and I think so our colleague tracy um Tracy Ross said something really great to me, and I think she like tweeted this also like. The importance of, like, Beyonce, if nothing else, is the way she makes black girls feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think especially when you take into account the realities of, like, what it is to exist as a black man, woman in this country, whether that be um, education, employment, um, health, like, pick an issue, um, it's hard out here for a black woman. Mm-hmm. And But also to... To acknowledge that reality, but also acknowledge the reality and the joy it is to be a black woman and the full spectrum of experience, not just the hard stuff, but also like the fun stuff and the hanging out with your girls mm-hmm. and like the cackling and the, yeah. you know, all of the fun stuff too. And I think that's, um, I think her true power is like speaking the full uh, spectrum of black girl experiences and and giving space for other black women to do the same.
1: Yeah, great. And you know, he, he touched upon. It's so funny, as we are watching this on live time, we're like, what?
10: Is she talking about, <laughs>
1: what did Jay do? I don't know how many tweets we saw that just said all caps, what did Jay do? And then, like, a few minutes later, wait, maybe this is about her dad? I'm so confused. We don't know. <laughs> I mean, we don't know. I'm, I'm just going to assume that, like, those first two songs are definitely about Jay, since she, like, says, you're going to lose your wife. Um although I mean she could be talking about her dad and her mom too yeah so there's like
10: there's like particular imagery that makes you think like maybe but also like I think about how Usher had us all thinking that he cheated on Chili and had a baby when he put out confessions and we're like what (laughs) happened here like we're so stressed about this and then we find out later that it's all just a ruse so like I don't like I feel like it's not even uh, we're never really gonna know the details of what went down but the fact that so many people can relate to it and now have an anthem for whatever it is. Exactly. Like, I feel like I cheated on Beyonce watching. Yeah, I, I was like, I I'm so
1: sorry. But... I know. <laughs> but, you know. I know. Don't, don't Hurt Yourself is definitely, like, that's that's my, my anthem. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> there's that little Twitter chain where, like, we're going to walk up into meetings playing this song. Well... <laughs> um, but, you know, let's say this did happen. I think, to go to, to Joe's point, like, the album also as a blueprint sort of for, you know, Mm -hmm. if you go through things like finding ways to get through them for her, maybe it's writing a hit record and then having your husband appear in the video to be kissing your feet. You know, that's how Beyonce gets through stuff, but like, (laughs) but people, but like, there are ways for everybody, no matter how tough things are, like you find a way to get through it. And then at the end, you know, you can, you can get yourself information, but like there's, there's a process. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least that's what I that's what I choose to take away from it. So I'm curious as to how this will all play into 2016. Uh, as we know, Black women are they're a very important voting bloc. Uh, I, I think sometimes very underreported. We mm-hmm. talk a lot about the gender gap when it comes to you know women voting for Democrats versus Republicans. Um, when Terry McAuliffe won the governor's race in Virginia a few years ago it was a gender gap that put him over the top. Right. But what I feel was underreported was that uh, it women. was black women and Latina women, because actually white women voted for Ken Cuccinelli. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Ken Cuccinelli, remember him? Uh, so I, I feel like, you know, maybe this is the year where, you know, people you even see it in the primary race with Hillary Clinton and the way she's been reaching out uh, to black women, you um, you know, that will that continue in the primary and how like is beyonce telling us to get information and get information like are we gonna are we gonna flex our muscles mm-hmm. at the voting booth
10: yeah no i think matter? it's like a, a to me and this is just how i understand it. it's like a comprehensive like get information whether that means like organize your organizing your community whether that means voter drives what are that whether that means like anything you can do to sort of plug in and like Um, I think insert like the importance of the black women in sort of all parts of like public life is Mm -hmm. like that's what this inspires me to do I think Melissa Harris-Perry was uh, giving a testimony at the uh, Congressional Caucus for Black Women and Girls and she said that uh, black women have long made lemonade from lemons, Uh, life handed them but the problem is somebody usually sat down and drank it after she made it and I think that sort of like encompasses like Black women have been making lemonade, and I think it's, like, part of 2016 and part of, like, moving forward is saying, like, the justice is, like, being able to, like, reap the benefits of, like, a country that we helped build.
1: Right, exactly. What is it? The best revenge is your paper?
10: (laughs) And it's so funny.
1: People got so bent out of shape about that line. Like, ah, it's so materialistic. And, ah, it's, like, all about the money. And I'm like, that is, that's part of it. But that's not the only thing. I took it as your best revenge is, is living well, and again, being able to reap, uh, you know, the fruits of your labor.
10: Yeah, and like, I I read it. Also, I had like a very petty reading of it. Of like, <laughs> like not like you will be up in arms about this, but you will buy my albums. <laughs> I'm <And> like. <laughs> Is your paper? Right. I'm getting your money. Right. It. Oh, that's oh, was, like my it that petty, way. petty, petty reading of it.
1: Oh, <laughs> oh, that is that's so petty. <laughs> I, but I like that. Which leads me to my question: is Is this all an elaborate ruse? And like, there's nothing wrong with their marriage. Everything's great. And it's just a well-produced album, and we're sitting here having a
10: <laughs> think-piece discussion. Right, about think piece it. Right, the think-piece industrial complex is going. Yes. Okay. Uh, maybe. I've thought about that, like, it might be. But I also, like, maybe I'm just cynical. I'm like, most everything is, like, a marketing ploy to get me to, like, think and feel and do in, like, a certain way. And That's I think true. it's, like... I'm already crying at these, like, P&G, like, Olympic commercials. <laughs> like, oh, they started already? They started already. Oh, I'm still too crying too for the last ones. <laughs> so I'm, like, <laughs> everything's a marketing ploy, and I think people are, like, reacting to, like, it being sort of controlled by, like, a black woman, and I think yeah. that's been really interesting. Like, you may aren't like, you don't have a problem with marketing ploys. You might just have a problem with, like, a black woman running it. Right, <laughs> <laughs> right exactly. You just have a problem that Little Miss Beyoncé
1: from... The third
10: word is ruling your
1: life. (laughs) Uh, You know, we got to go. I I just want to say one thing that, you know, really bothers me. One of the critiques is like, you know, I just don't think Beyonce is that smart. Have you heard her speak? Like, you know what? She's from the South right and if you are saying that because of her accent you don't think she's smart like that is a, a very horrible thing to say and i applaud her for like saying not only am i black but i am southern mm-hmm. and i am proud and i say this is a girl from jersey like what do i know about the south right but good for her all right we gotta go thank you mariam thank you everyone for listening and calling in it's Daniela gibbs with the leslie marshall show see you next time